Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, if you've got your Bibles this morning, you maybe like to turn with me to John chapter 14. I'm old school too, Alan, I've got my Bible here too, so it's fine. John uh, 14, I want to read uh, the first few verses. Uh, we're making our way slowly through John 14. I know I went beyond this when it was Father's Day because we looked at a passage uh, that would help us on Father's Day. But today we're going to look at these first few verses uh, in John 14. And so it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Father, I pray that as I share your word this morning, Holy Spirit, that you'll just come and flow through me. You know each and every one of us here. You know the things that we need. You know the encouragement. You know the different things that's going on in our world. And I pray that you'll speak through me this morning. You've already spoken prophetically. You've already ministered to us through the songs. We've been like on a journey, Lord, making great declarations and, and declaring our trust in you. And I pray that as we look into this amazing subject this morning, that you will just come and uh, fill our hearts afresh and touch us afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like to be a bit of a tour guide today, if you like, and uh, give us a quick introduction on the way to heaven and some things about heaven. And it's a destination I hope we will all reach uh, someday, uh, every single one of us. I want to talk about that great subject today. Although a lot of books tend to say a lot more about hell than heaven, uh, and though some try to spiritualize it, I actually believe that the Bible shows heaven to be a very real place and a literal place. And although co- concepts have been and words have been kind of polluted down through the years, so, so anything could be called heavenly, like ice cream and stuff like that, or food or, or a relationship, but uh, heavenly people talk about these things. There's no doubt, absolutely no doubt in my mind that heaven is a real place. The Bible says it's real. One commentator says that 53 out of the 66 books of the Bible mention heaven in one way or another. But more importantly, Jesus himself says it was real, as we saw in our reading. And you're probably aware, those scholars of the Bible, that, that uh, you would find three heavens mentioned uh, in the Bible. There's not one for you, one for the, the rascals, and one for somebody else, but... Uh, the, the, the way they would look at it is the atmospheric uh, space where they get the air that we breathe, birds fly, airplanes follow their courses to their destination and the abode uh, of men. Then celestial heavens, outer space, where the stars and constellations are, which the psalmist declares in Psalm 19, speak to us, and the headquarters of Satan. And the third heaven, where Paul was caught up to in 2 Corinthians 12 and 2, Jesus came from there, the Holy Spirit was sent from here, and the saints will ascend there when Jesus comes back. And the Bible, of course, says that Jesus passed through the heavens, Hebrews 4, 14, 
as no, and is now ascended higher than all the heavens. Ephesians 4 and verse 10. And he's exalted in the heavens in Hebrews 7.26. And maybe some of you never thought in these things, and maybe that's a little help to us today. But we need to bear in mind, of course, that uh, the immensity and omnipresent nature of God, which God, where God is everywhere, and he's everywhere at the same time, and he's everywhere with all that he is and all his attributes at exactly the same time. And so when Solomon was dedicating the temple, he made the statement, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. So we hold both these things in tension. The Bible uses many words or concepts to refer to heaven or describe heaven. The tabernacle, um, some say the three courts in the Mosaic tabernacle represent the three levels of the heavens, starting with the God's court, reaching down to man's court, the outer court. And uh, Hebrews is an example, and it goes to great length to show us that the earthly tabernacle was built on the example of the, and the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. House is another, our chapter today speaks about that. Temple is another, the Bible speaks about God hearing us from his holy temple. Sanctuary is another. Throne is another. Glory is another. When, when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up and saw the glory of God. Kingdom, an inheritance, a country, a city, a home, all of these particular words are used to describe heaven. There are many, many misconceptions about heaven. I used to work with a guy called Alex many years ago, and uh, he used to say, you make your own heaven or you make your own hell. And, and that, uh, Judson Cornwall says, that's a tragic display of ego to think that any of us is big enough to create our own heaven and hell. Heaven is not created by man, but for man. It is not the apex of his present existence. It is the residence for his eternal existence. Man does not earn it. He merely enters it. Some people think it's an extension of this life. It was, if it was true, who would need a heaven? All we would need is access to the tree of life to live forever on earth. Some people say it's a place of inactivity where we sit in the clouds and maybe strum a harp like a perpetual vacation. And uh, I don't see that being the case either. Hopefully we'll see that today. There was a cartoon once of a man sitting in heaven in the clouds strumming his harp and he said, I wish I bought a magazine. <laughs> and, and so there's that kind of thought that, that uh, I think there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, a place of perpetual praise and worship, one glorified praise concert. I believe there's so much more. A place of sensual pleasure, we kind of reject that one. It's certainly not biblical. But there are many, many concepts of what people say in relation to heaven. And I think today's message is really important because if we don't understand heaven, if we don't understand how to get to heaven, and if we don't understand all the beauty of heaven, then we really won't want to go there. And so it's good to know where we're going to end up. I think it's a great thing on a journey. You need to know where you're going. And... Uh, you know, if you take away the hope of heaven, uh, and our, our journey then, someone said, here is just a death march. So there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, those who do understand it, long for it. So Paul, he says, he longed to be with Christ. He longed to be clothed with his heavenly body. He longed for the immortal to put on the immortal or immortality. I once heard somebody pray immorality, but that was, um, I, you know, it's not immorality we're putting on, it's immortality. 
And a recent example of people longing for heaven is George Verwer, the the director and founder of OM. Recently died on the 14th of April at the age of 84. And latterly he longed to go to heaven. He died like a real saint. He he worked to the very end and uh, he shared the gospel wherever he could. And he didn't want people to pray for his healing. And that's unusual. He said to people praying for him uh, in the months that led to his passing, Bless me to go home to our father. And Selwyn Hughes in his biography said, There was a time nearly 10 years ago when I said I was, I was ready to go, but eager to stay. Now, however, things are different. I'm eager to go, but willing to stay. And so the, the concept of people that were sick, that longing for that eternal place that God has promised to us, what will heaven be like? Heaven will be amazing. The Bible says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. I believe heaven will be amazing. The best place ever. Most wonderful. And it, 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 it says in Romans eight eighteen, Paul says that, that uh, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And so, so when you think of things like that, the Bible's speaking about a place that's far better, amazing scripture, full of so much beauty that we can't even fully comprehend it. One commentator says it's a bit like asking uh, people in America to describe the country of America. And he says, if you come from the north, he'll say it's a place of mountains and lakes. If you live in Florida, it's a place of beauty and water and everglades. If you live in Arizona, it's a place of great expanse of deserts. If you live in New York, it's a place of, of shops and monuments and a river and bridges. If you live in Hawaii, it's a place of exotic plants and beaches. And so I think that's a great a, a, a concept. To try and describe it, it's, it's all of these things if you were describing America, and it's, it's what we're describing today and a lot more. The Bible expositor's commentary says, Since heaven is the Father's house, it must be a place of love and joy. And when the Apostle John tried to describe heaven, he almost ran out of symbols and comparisons. Finally, he listed the things that would not be there. Death, sorrow, crying, pain, night, etc. What a wonderful home it will be like. Eh? No pills in heaven. eh? No aches and pains. No getting up in the morning and then you think you've got to get yourself psyched up to get out of bed. Eh? Very different. It will be like paradise. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul said that he was caught up into paradise, which is already referred to, called it the third heaven. So heaven is spoken as a paradise, as father's house, as a new Jerusalem, as Zion. Paradise is heaven's garden, writes one commentator. Father's house is heaven's housing. The new Jerusalem is heaven's city, and Zion is heaven's governmental monarchy, all complementary and not in competition. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for paradise could be, is, 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 is translated in, in, in certain parts of the Bible as an orchard, or as a forest, and, it, and, and the Persian word was for magnificent parks and gardens used to describe the magnificent parks and, and, and buildings described for the Persian kings. The Greek version speaks about paradise. And of course, the, go back, going back to Genesis, we would see something of the beauty of that. 
Sir Judson Cornwall writes, So paradise first seen in Eden was in the lips of the dying Savior, was visited by Paul, and became part of the introduction to the book of the consummation of all things, the book of Revelation, a place that God has prepared for his people, who are awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ after their earthly life has expired. Two of its most important features are the presence of God and the tree of life. And still we might feel like a humble mole, as somebody said, in trying to describe heaven, who had lived underground most of the days of their life and have no concept of the beauty and the grandeur and the greatness of what it is on earth. It will be a, a place of greater knowledge, because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, Now I know in part, then I shall know, just as I am known. It's a place of a new order. And, and, and Revelation, and often read at funerals, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And then it goes on to say that uh, God's going to come down, uh, uh, the, the new Jerusalem's coming down from heaven, and now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. There will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new, free from our sorrows, pains, fears, anxieties, grief. It may seem surprising, but I believe it's a place of service because it says of the saints in Revelation 7 and 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. It's a place of joy. Jesus told us in John 15, that he's told us this, that his joy would be in us and our joy would be complete. And joy is a characteristic of the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Seen in the return of the, of the prodigal from home, the place of celebration, as we see a picture of the father there. Place of celebration, a place of joy. Joy is, of course, a fruit of the Spirit, so you'd expect to find joy there. And, and Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown, our rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord? And the Bible tells us that Jesus himself, and, and uh, Stephen spoke about this and referred to this the other week, about the joy set before him, redu uh, uh, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty of, of the Father in heaven. And when we think of the things that won't be there that we've just read, surely it will be a place of joy. And one commentator says it will not only be joy, but it will be social joys. The people that will be there. The saints who have gone before. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. The angels. It's a place of glory. Even humanists who take funerals that I've attended presume some sort of continuity of existence. I don't believe it's based on any substance. The bright stars in the sky and things like that. And I'll come back to that later on. To talk about those, uh, to talk about those who have gone before and to be welcomed, to, to be open to seeing them again is a great prospect for the children of God. So a text, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he tells us about a little bit there about an insight into heaven. And let's not forget the context of this. That uh, it wasn't spoken in a vacuum. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He's already told them that he's leaving and that there would be a separation. And Peter says, like, where are you going? And in John 13, 36. And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. 
These disciples had been with him. They'd followed him day after day. And now there's going to be a separation. And, and, and what does all that mean? And uh, they thought Jesus was going to set up this Messiahship. And he would rule and reign from that moment on. And they would be part of it. And that's true that he's going to do that. And Jesus spoke into that. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Into a situation where Peter, who had made a tremendous declaration some time before, and said that, he, that if everybody else left, he wouldn't leave. And somehow he's become a casualty too, or he's going to become a casualty too. And, and, and so, so what's happening? What's going on? And into that Jesus speaks. It looks like everything's on the verge of collapse. And into that Jesus speaks. And the way that he speaks would break the rules of general counseling. Like, like, do not let your heart be troubled. Like, when people come and they're, and, and, and they're anxious or, or, or things going on in their life or, or worried, to just tell somebody not to worry is, is not good counseling. But, but of course, this is Jesus and, and he's got a bigger plan. He wanted them to move from fear to faith. And as the old commentators and the old saints used to call it, acting faith, that, that, that meant exercising faith, taking hold of the promising, promises, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Good advice indeed. And there's many reasons for that comfort that he gives. And, and those of you who have suffered bereavement with, with friends and loved ones, this is a great encouragement and a great hope to us today. That, that, that for, for the believer, death is a comma rather than a full stop. That the work of the Holy Spirit was about to kick in for the disciples. That he was preparing a place for them. And they, they are going to go there to be with him one day. Sinclair Ferguson says, he points to the logic here. Jesus' action, I'm leaving you. Jesus' explanation, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. And Jesus' conclusion, I'm going to return uh, for you to take you home. So there was Jesus facing the cross and concerned for the emotional state of his disciples and telling them this great teaching. I, I, I much prefer the factual stuff than the airy-fairy stuff that I've mentioned a few moments ago about us being a bright star in the sky. I don't, there's no biblical warrant for that at all. And yet people write eloquently about it and speak eloquently about it. And much as though I love Donna Taggart's song, There'll Be Another Angel Around the Throne Tonight, that it's not true. It's not true. So we can like songs and like singers, and, uh, but, but it's not always truth that people are actually singing. And, and to, know, to know the reality of, of what we're believing and looking at today, we're looking at the lips of Jesus, the man who came back from the grave and conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so, so our lives are on a far better foundation because of that. He's going before his people. God's always gone before his people. The disciples had gone to the upper room to prepare a place, and now Jesus was going to heaven to prepare a place for them. So where's Jesus going? Well, he's going to his father's house. A, a phrase that's mentioned 53 times. And the father is mentioned in John 13 to 17. And Jesus is the only person who spoke of heaven as father's house. Three times he spoke on that. In our text, in the cleansing of the temple. And, and it was interesting that he, that he spoke about his father's house and the cleansing of the temple. But, but the way they messed it up, he says, your, uh, your house is left to you desolate. Home is generally a wonderful place, a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place of welcome, a place of security, a place of comfort, a place of relaxation. Judson Cornwall says, to those who have enjoyed a good home, 
It's a fitting symbol of heaven. And for those who were cheated out of a good home and a home life, heaven will make it up to them. And I like that. There's not only home and a house in my father's house. There's plenty of room there. We're not going to a phone box, a red phone box in heaven. It's a lot bigger than that. We're not going to a six by four shed. It's a lot bigger than that. And if you say my shed's 12 by 10, it's not 6 by 4, it's a lot bigger than that as well. There's many rooms or mansions or dwelling places or homes or, uh, as, as different people translate that in a different way. And, uh, but it's a definite place. It's never spiritualized. Some people see it in terms of large oriental palaces with all their grounds. Barnes compares it to the temple with all its rooms. And goes on to suggest that there are various degrees of glory. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to that state of glory where there is not only a place of supreme eminence for myself, but also places for all my disciples. Various degrees of glory suited to the various capacities and attainments of my followers. You may choose to disagree with some aspects of that. Warren Wiersbe says it's unfortunate that, that historically people have spoken about mansions and that those who are faithful Christians will have big mansions and those will have little cottages or little shacks. He believes that there'll be Jesus is preparing a place and every single one will be beautiful. But I would see the following, a place of permanence. We may rent or relocate here, but heaven is a place of permanence. It's a place of provision. God's making a large provision. There's many people going to heaven. Many sons is leading to glory according to Hebrews 2 and 10. God wants a full house. Tells his people to go out into the highways and byways and invite people and compel them to come in. And it says he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Cornwall again says the book of Revelation reveals that there are many citizens in the city, many subjects in the kingdom, many children in the household, many worshippers in the temple. And many angels, principalities, and powers in heaven. It will take many rules to, many rooms to house them all. Father's there. Angels are there. Jesus is there. Matthew Henry said, heaven would be an, an unready place for a Christian if Jesus were not there. It's a place with people. Judson Cornwall looks at it from a family angle. All the saints down the ages, I believe that also. When we get to Father's house, one commentator says that it'll be surrounded by family love that breaks down prejudices, melts hardness of heart, blends that which is divergent into a united whole, and generally makes a family out of many children. We shall no longer be brothers and sisters in name only, but will be merged into a family whose filial responsibilities are joyful. And he goes on to say, his love for us will become our love for one another. It's a place of purity. As a child, I used to sing, There is a city bright, and closed are its gates to sin, and not that, not that defileth can ever enter in. No asbos, no noisy neighbors. A prepared place. Is it prepared for you? Yes. Have you received that? Well, we'll see. If it burst anybody's bubble about speaking about angels and stars and the sky and stuff like that, the reality of it is that Jesus gives us an invitation to every single person. That we can, every single one of us, go to heaven. You know, God's never taken his people anywhere that has not been prepared. Eden was a beautiful garden prepared. 
Canaan was a place with, with uh, beautiful houses and, and uh, there was uh, uh, wells that they hadn't dug and there were vineyards and olive groves that they did not plant. And he goes to prepare a place. Some commentators say that that verse could be, could be interpreted because I go to prepare a place for you. Part of that preparation, of course, we've been singing about it this morning, was his death on the cross. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. So why is it taking so long? Why did Jesus say that 2,000 years ago? It's taken so long. Well, 2 Peter 3 and 8 answers that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So I believe that Jesus has answered the biggest question of life. What happens when I die? It's there for us to see. Our final destination as believers is the Father's house. We are immortal until our work is done and immortal afterwards. Peter himself would let her write, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And the band can come now. The question I was asked as a young religious man who did not know an assurance in my heart that I was going to heaven, I was asked the question, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And I could not answer that. I can now. I couldn't at that particular time. I thought to answer that was presumptuous. But the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Famous president of the United States says there are two things certain in life. One is taxes, the other is death. And, and, and so it's, a, it's something that we've all got to go to. And so the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. These things are written that you may know you have eternal life. I try to explain today that heaven is a real place, a loving place. A place for saved people. But all are included in the invite. And that he's going to come back for us. Life is passing very quickly. The Bible speaks about life in a number of ways. It says it's swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And you, if you've ever nice to work for a firm that made nets and, 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 and ropes. I remember going down to Grimsby to see the place where it was all woven. And you saw the shuttles going backwards and forwards. And he says, the Bible says it's, it's swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And, and uh, it's like a mist or a vapor that appears for a little while. The Bible speaks about these. My sister phoned me this week. So I'm phoning to tell you about some of the people in Fraserburgh that's died, people that you knew. And there were three people just died within the last week or so. People that I knew. A guy who was in a young people's uh, meeting in Fraserburgh at the same time as myself. A, 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 a lady that we knew that when he used, used to go to the dances on a, on a Saturday night that, that played there. And it was three different people that, that she told me that had passed away. People that, that I knew, somebody lived at the bottom of my street where I lived. Somebody said this, you can miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between knowing things in our heads and having an experience in our hearts. Heaven really is a prepared place for a prepared people. And I think it, when we look at the beauty of the world round about us today, and see all of the lovely things that God has created. And it's beautiful. I'll go along the road driving with Diane. And, and I'll always look around and say, look at the beauty of that. I, I, 
I, I love the beauty of the, of the countryside, of nature, of all that God has made. And, and if, if earth is like that and it's fallen, what will heaven be like, friends? What will it be like? Little wonder that, that Paul could write, that eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared. Little wonder that Paul would say our present sufferings are not worth compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so I, I, I've tried to present today a glorious concept, a glorious place that we've been invited to go to. Jesus is telling us that there in these intimate moments. Don't worry. Don't worry when, 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 when I die, I'm going to rise again, I'm going to come back later and take you to be with myself. And that's true for every single one of us. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.